1: Well, hello there and welcome to this episode. I am delighted to have you here with us today and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to spend time with us. Today, my guest is dear friend of mine, Lady Dr. Wa Win, And uh, we're both ladies. We were knighted in the same class. I think that's what they're calling us now. We're the class of Chicago in 2023, I guess, <laughs> is what they're calling us. I don't know what it is, but we were knighted together. But before that, we actually knew each other from another another um, person, Bill Walsh, who's been on this show as well, and and uh, Wa has been on my television show, Tell Me I Can't, as well. So we've done quite a few things together. We still have one more thing we need to do together, which um, I know I've missed the opportunity this month because I've just been too busy moving. <laughs> moving and, and shaking, literally moving. And, um, but I, we're going to have the opportunity to work together soon. I can't wait for that. But let me tell you a little bit about Wa. Uh, she is um, a optometrist. First and foremost, I can't wait for you to tell everybody how you and um, Jaime met. Um, she's an accredited real <laughs> estate investor and, and syndicator. And she's an author as well. Um, and uh, have you been in one of the impact books? I can't remember. If you have my impact books. No, not yet. Okay, I I didn't think so. Okay. Well, I'm not doing another, so don't worry. It's not even it's not even in that yet. Um, but um, she's gonna tell her story about how she took her career and created a lifestyle through real estate investing, and that's what we're gonna be talking about. But there are stories that she has about cracking through and breaking through glass ceilings. She um she and her husband manage and own and co-own. Millions of dollars worth of multifamilies, they manage them, and um, they have a couple of practices in the Dallas area. So with that said, uh, welcome, welcome to the show, Lady Wa. How are you? So much, Lady Jen. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. We love talking, you know, we got to the the point where we were chatting in the green room and then realized, well, maybe we should actually do the podcast here. So, um, so let's get started with um, your story, because I think your story is so powerful um, on how, you know, you came to the United States. Um, So share a little bit about that story first so we can learn about you.
2: Yeah, first, first and foremost, thank you for having me on to even share my story but my parents, uh, Vietnamese, fled after the war. My dad was actually one who had a boat. And uh, so I was born in the refugee camp in the Philippines, and uh, came to the u s. when I was about eight and a half years old, family of five. I have two older brothers. And uh, so we moved around a lot. You know, so when we came to the u s, you know it's you hear about the American dream, right? And so we were just seeking freedom when you when you flee from a country of war. Um, You come with nothing and so building but knowing that the opportunities are here and so, you know, even though we've had a lot of financial hardships I moved around 13 schools before I settled in New Orleans. Um, and I was in the fifth grade by that time. And so when people ask me, where are you from? It's always hard for me to answer. I'm like, well, should I just say New Orleans? Because that's technically where I <laughs> grew up a little right, bit. Right. Uh, but I moved around so much. So it's hard to really answer that question. But I usually just say, yeah, I grew up, majority of my life is New Orleans. But really, I've moved around so much and uh, coming from, um, but you know, what's really good about that is y- it gives you so much perspective when you come from different countries. Um, and then different cultures in different cities. And uh, you, so, you know, you, you get, you like people, right. You get used yeah. to different circumstances and you'll have a whole new lens in view of the world. And so very grateful that those, you know, we call it the gift of poverty because yeah. of those challenging times. Um, I really wanted to do well. And when my dad passed away, my mom's single mom um, so I really had at a young age, like that drive, I started working by age 10. I'm not new to the workforce and uh, entrepreneurial world. And so I was a young entrepreneur with my mom, especially after my dad passed so young. Um, and so I was always out there cooking and, uh, you know, we joke about, you know, doing nails. The last time we, I was on your TV show, and we were talking <laughs> about nails and stuff. And I joke about it because most people are like, they associate Vietnamese people with doing nails. And I'm like, I actually have done that. I've been in the restaurant industry. I'm actually licensed manicurist and everything. <laughs> so my mom goes, in case school doesn't work out, I have a skill
1: set, right? So I can do nails too. <laughs> yeah you're a jack of all trades right you got it yeah and i love that and i i know we did we had so much fun with that and i forget that we did that but i know that's really put a put a seed in planted a seed in you and i hope it's not offensive but it it, it was funny we've had some fun with it um my daughter still hasn't done it for you yet but i i can't wait till she does it but um little inside joke going on there. Uh, Yeah. And you know what I think, you know, we talked about this on Tell Me I Can't when you were on the show, you know, is that perseverance, right? And the drive, um, you know, to be so much more than, you know, what is stereotypical uh, for women, stereotypical for for, uh, um, immigrant, you know, and to be so much more. So tell us a little bit about um, what led you to want to become an optometrist.
2: So when I was in college, I had three jobs, I was actually working at part time with my mom at the restaurant, uh, taking 21 credit hours. And then I also worked um, at an optical, my friend was working at an optical and she said, Hey, we're in need of help. Could you come in and be an optometric assistant and help pretest with the doctor? Um, and so that was one of my three jobs. And when I went in part-time, the optometrist there, at that time, believe it or not, Jen, I had never had an eye exam. And okay. so I didn't even know what the profession of an optometrist was. <laughs> right. You just so my, my vision was job. always really good. Yeah. And so the optometrist there was the one who really educated me a little bit more about the world of optometry and the flexibility of being able, because I always had the vision of wanting to be my own business owner, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know what vehicle I wanted to pursue to get to become a business owner. I knew that the restaurant industry was really challenging and I knew that that was my uh, passion. But when I went into working there and helping patients and learning the intricacies of the eyes, I was so fascinated. And so that's what really led me to pursue optometry. Um, At the time when I was in college, I actually was in business school. I was in finance, accounting, international marketing and management is really what I was pursuing. And I was two years in doing that. And so when I started my part-time job there, that's when I switched gears and decided I would really like to pursue optometry as a career because as a woman, especially um, it, it it gives you a lot of flexibility in different ways to practice uh, to be a business owner uh, and and actually work as little as much as you'd like with that career choice. So I was like, that's the path I would like to pursue.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because you know, I I don't know. Did you know at that time? You know, you were saying, okay, so I could work as little or or not. Did you know at that time that you wanted more of that lifestyle? you know, it was, were you too young to really understand that you just thought, Oh, Hey, this is really a good career because, you know, I can pick and choose my hours when I have my family. Was it more family driven in that sense? Or was it, you know, this is what I want to do because I'm going to grow, you know, my business further. What was, what was really the impetus behind that?
2: It was multifaceted because for me at the time, uh, coming from such, um, you know, working where I used to work 80 to 100 hours, right, with my mom, right? When I was in school, I would work less because I would be going to school. But my mom, that was typical. We were open seven days a week. There are no vacations. There are no breaks. We would only close on the major holidays. But the rest of the time we work and it's long, long hours. And so, you know, we don't have quality time. It's all we knew was work. We eat work, We eat and breathe work, right? Yeah. And so there's not true quality time. There is no time with family. And I was like, I can't imagine living my whole life even if I were to pursue the American dream and have money to not be able to enjoy it never to go vacation never to have quality family time and always be stressed about finances right yeah and that's how I grew up you know mm-hmm. when my dad passed away my mom got into abusive relationship. And I remember the guy, you know, she was with and, he, you know, it's almost two years where he was threatening us. And I never wanted to be in that position. I never wanted my mom to be in that position again when yeah. I stood up to him. And, you know, and I was like, you know, I'm going to that was my driver. I was like, you know, financial freedom and time freedom. I I wanted that at a very, very young age um, because I didn't have it. I And so I was like, you know, I knew that I was good in school. And so academia was my driver. I was like, if that's a vehicle that I can utilize in order to create something, I wanted to retire my mom. That was my number one goal at the time was as soon as I start working, I'm going to retire my mom and retire. You know, at the time that was kind of the the driving force on the financial side. I didn't care if I was rich. I just wanted to be financially independent where I didn't have to be on anyone. Um, and be able to take care of my mom. And, yeah. you know, your wives changed through your journey of life. Of course. But at a young age, that was my driving force. And I wanted to be have time because I was like, I want to take my mom on vacation. I want to go on, you know, and when I have my own family, I want my daughter to have time with me. I don't want to be like, you know, our parents did the best they could. But we didn't have that quality time. Like my dad passed away at 43 years old working all his life never being able to enjoy the fruits of uh, his labor and you know I was like I don't want to leave this world like that you know I want to create a bigger impact and I want to be able to enjoy my life right and so that was kind of uh, early on I had that like people are like what what did you use I didn't have mentors and stuff but my mom was a mentor to me but I read um, man's search for meaning in the fifth grade like what child reads man's search for meaning but those were the types yeah. of books I was reading that really like gave me perspective right mm-hmm.
1: yeah that pushed you on. um so uh oh gosh I can't believe I'm going to ask you this question but um are are you 43 yet I don't think you are
2: I am. I'm 44. Okay, so, <laughs> but I, so Thanksgiving Day. Oh, uh, this week
1: uh, I'm going to be 45. Oh my gosh! My birthday is the day after. No wonder we love each other. <laughs> on the 23rd, <laughs> I'm the 24th. Yeah, my I'll be 60 on the 24th. Oh,
2: that's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Really? So, so we're to celebrate. I know we're gonna have to. Um. So the reason why I'm asking At the question the early, Miles. Yeah. The reason why I'm asking the question is, when you turned 43, or let's just say when you turned 44, right, and you had exceeded your father's age, how did that impact you?
2: Oh, it was huge. You know, I was just going back this past weekend to my mom's house and celebrating her 76th birthday. Oh. And my mom's been in that home for 30 years. And uh, it was the home that my dad wanted. It was our first home we ever owned in America. And she still lives in that home because my dad passed away in that home. Um, And uh, it reflect back and think, man, my dad passed away when he was only 43 years old in this home. And uh, this was the home that he picked out and he wanted us. And he lived 12 days in that home before he passed.
1: Oh, gosh. When he
2: first bought it. And uh, it brought back a lot of brought back a lot of memories and uh, you know but you know he lived even though he didn't have a financial uh, life that was abundant he had a very abundant life as far as impacting people um, right. and so those memories he was always such a kind soul and so I was like you know so in in my world he still lived a rich life not a financial rich life but an impactful life you yeah know? And, and so I'm very proud of, my dad, yeah. out of who he is and you know, the things that he taught us. And I think that's the biggest thing he could have left us as a legacy is the yeah. kindness and love for people, you know?
1: Right. Right. You know, you've had a lot of glass ceilings as you're talking you know, these are ceilings that you've, you know, passed through. Um, and for those of you that are listening on mortgage lending mastery, we're double dipping this, this podcast into both success to significance and Mar- mortgage lending mastery. Um but you, you know, you've had these ceilings. And so you had a ceiling of, you know, going to college and becoming an optometrist. Then you had your first practice, you know, you've, you met your husband. So tell everybody real quick, how you met your husband, and then we'll dive into, you know, about your business together, but how quickly. How, <laughs> because I, I mean, I will never, yeah. have, I will never have LASIK surgery because I don't like people touching my, <laughs> eyeballs. I don't like me touching my eyeballs. I don't wear contacts. I don't need to thank God, but you know, um, so tell us how this everybody get ready.
2: Hi uh, man. I met in a Houston when I was going to optometry school and he was my lab partner. Um I was at that time still super shy and quiet and he sat right next to me and uh, we were doing eye injections in this lab. literally eye injections, syringes in the eye with saline and we were practicing on each other and it was that was the first actual encounter. I mean, I've always known him. He was in my class, but I never really talked to him. Right. And so after that, yeah, that, that was when. <laughs> so I was like, we were. I always, our joke is love at first injection, right? It's right. like, our first injection. People
1: right. we like what you met through my injection. Oh my! But God. here we are, eighteen years later. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. I love it. And That's I know it. you're madly in love. Yeah. And, you know, share a little bit about your your next uh, glass ceiling that you had to break through the ceiling that you had to crack through. And that was when you had, you know, having your daughter. Tell us a little bit about that, too. Yeah. And so when we became optometrists,
2: I moved to Dallas and then, you know, achieving buying our own practice was our dream. But the reality is we came out with so much student loan debt. We combined, we had about over three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt. And so we lived in a small apartment. and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, I worked seven days a week, even after um, being a full-time doctor at a private practice. I worked extra so that I could purchase our dream practice in four about four and a half years, we bought our first practice. Um, And at that time, when it's your own practice and you're just building your business, um, you know, we worked a lot. But when my daughter was born in 2014, we acquired our first practice. We built up in 2011. My daughter was born in 2014. And so when Athena was born, um, I remember after two weeks of having her, I went back to work. And I remember that feeling when I was just like, wow. Wow. I remember why I went into doing this. I wanted not just the financial freedom. I wanted the time freedom. And so I really wanted to figure out how do I now, um, because at the time 2014, we acquired our second practice and we're open, you know, uh, full time, six days a week. Jaime was managing one practice. I was managing one practice. We didn't have other other associate doctors at the time and we're really busy. And so I went back to um, going to work after having Athena and that feeling of just like, wow, I don't want Athena to have second best of me every single day coming home so tired. Um, And so I figured, you know, we got to figure out something else. And that's where we started going into real estate. And I said, you know, it's like learning a whole new avenue. We knew really building wealth and diversifying multiple streams of income was what we were trying to pursue. And so that's when we started our real estate journey and decided, you know, we're going to get into learning how to invest in real estate assets and diversify. And uh, eventually buy back our time so that I can have more flexibility with Athena, hire more associate doctors, um, and then do that. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah, Uh, 2014, we had, 2015, we started our real estate investing journey, learning all the different asset classes. Um, and it's kind of like a second education. It's like beyond going to college. <laughs> like you're investing time in a whole new avenue of yeah. learning and yeah. surrounding yourself with people who are in the space. But that's, that's the second glass ceiling was breaking the real estate barrier where eventually I was able to get to only working a few days uh, a week, yeah. hiring one associate doctor, two associate, three, four. And so now I can go in, at leisure if I play, want to, right? I practice because I want to, not because I have to anymore. Yeah. But it took time to build that, to have my real estate income, be able to hire more associate doctors to be able to now just do all the things we love to do and travel and be able to do other things um, that we love. And I love Athena it. is part of that.
1: Yeah, with oh, I know milestone. she's with you everywhere. Yeah, she's with you everywhere. Um, are you homeschooling her? That she's with you? Everywhere? Not yet. So but- we've homeschooled part of the
2: journey yeah we homeschooled her for um, uh, online schooling and homeschooling but now she's in actual school oh, good. for probably yeah she, for the two years been in actual school and then we're planning on letting her do that for another two years and then we're going to probably go back on the road and do virtual um yeah. schooling
1: yeah well she's so cute I just think she's adorable um <laughs> I do. I just I think she's wonderful. Um, Yeah. So let's talk about your real estate. Actually, the glass ceiling I was talking about was actually trying to have Athena, but we don't have to go there. We're good. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, that was a whole other glass ceiling as well. But uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That was another thing you had to push through, you know, and that was probably very, very painful. Let's talk about your real estate, Um, the investing piece of it. What was the first... Well, let's talk about, we will get to a point where I can, we can talk about, you know, the various um, assets that you are investing in. I know you do a lot of multifamily syndication now, that's the primary thing that I hear from you, but, but um, did you buy property for rent, rent and hold? Were you doing flips? Did you do wholesaling? Did you do tax liens? Were you holding notes? Where did, where, where was this path that led you to multifamily that you're now most focused on?
2: So when I first started, it actually didn't start in uh, U.S. I actually started in Belize. I was going on there for my first um, vacation and girls trip, and I fell in love with the island in Belize. And so my first real estate asset is I bought land um, in Belize, and then I built uh, from ground up my home that I Airbnb currently. Yeah, And that's a legacy asset. I'll use that as a vacation home. So we can go enjoy it every few months and then also rent it out. Yeah. And then after that, I did a hotel syndication. That was my first introduction to the world of syndication. And it was a, you were, a resort.
1: That- yeah. And you were an investor in that. You did not manage it. You were the investor, correct? The hotel, I was the investor.
2: The land and the home I built from ground up. Right. And that was all mine. I don't have investors uh, yes. on that. Right, right. Uh, the hotel, other other investors right but that was the world of syndication and then I started just buying more land beachfront property land that I still holds, long-term hold that I haven't developed out yet uh, that's to be where we were going to plan to retire and so my beachfront lot I'm going to build out in the future but what I found out was I was tying up a lot of my money in Belize where I didn't have other investors with us in those projects. The hotel was something that we were a passive investor in somebody else's, right? And I learned about syndication. And then when I learned about multifamily syndication and and the other kind of the benefits of multifamily that I wasn't achieving with my Belize properties, um, I decided to kind of heavily focus on multifamily syndications in markets in the U.S. And partner with people doing that. And that really catapulted
1: our career
2: uh, a lot, a lot faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because you could, and now you're a partner in, and I, and I know some of these you run, right. You're running some of them and other, you're still a, a passive investor in all of them, but some of them you've taken the lead role and you're the partner in. The managing partner um and so now you you uh your total investments are a little over 350 million in um properties as a whole you how, how many i'm actually over 650 million oh now <laughs> it's 650 okay your bio needs to be updated yeah um yeah and i think uh you know i i think that that's a great way to go so what has been give me one or two, because I i mean, I know what these are, I invest in them as well. But what are, give us one or two benefits to investing in multifamily syndication, and then one or two pitfalls for the novice person who's going to be coming into this.
2: Yeah, whether you're, you know, with the multifamily syndication space, whether you're a passive investor, or you're the general partner who's actively doing the work. The nice thing about that is you have the tax side, you know, the tax benefit, because there's a cost segregation study that gets done on all of these large assets that makes sense uh, on a large multifamily unit. And so you get these accelerated bonus depreciations that you can utilize on Um, And so that's one factor. And then the resiliency of these asset classes, if they're in prime markets and underwritten conservatively and they're strong operators through downed markets, you know, single family can be impacted a bit more, whereas multifamily, the demand and supply. And so people need to rent when they can't uh, a lot with interest rates and everything going up it's harder for people to own homes. And so the rental market is a great way. And I like the fact that you're able to create winning strategies and you're not, you know, you you don't have to be a slumlord where you can actually build communities where it's still affordable living for residents. And then they get to have activities. They have a nice place to live. And so we don't do this like high crime neighborhoods. And so the type of assets we invest in prime markets. And so they're nice school districts, they're low crime. Um, and so those type of assets, for me, it's more resilient and it's less of a risk factor for me. So it's it kind of that. I like that more. And in addition to all the real estate assets, for like appreciation, cash flow that you can get in other assets as well. But that's kind of the added barrier. I like uh, the added benefit. I like with the multifamily is that. Um, you know, the taxation benefit side and also the the resiliency of less volatility in the market, whether it's COVID, whether it's a uh, recession <laughs> time, as long as you're in the right market with strong operators. That's been my experience so yeah. far. Well, and, and I think, the pitfalls. Oh, go ahead. And, uh, Go ahead. So the pitfalls with these asset classes is, you know, um, the hold is a little longer and your money's not liquid, right? And so sometimes your money can be in there for three to five years. So it's not like you can just sell a home if you want to pull the money out or if it's not performing or something, you can just pull the money out. If the, the strategy, you have to wait till a refinance or you have to wait until a selling uh, exit strategy. So the money being tied up Um, And usually most of these syndications start at about $50,000. And so that money's kind of tied to the project until it's sold or refinanced out to get a portion of that back. And so the illiquidity is something uh, some of the things that I would say would could be a pitfall or down, but you just well, have I mean, to be patient.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing, I mean, look at it, if people are investing, you know, they are, they tend to be in it for the long haul. I mean, if we're all going to financial planners, they're saying, oh, but let me show you the 30 year graph. You just have to hold it for 30 years. So anyone who's thinking about that, you know, <laughs> and there are pitfalls to, to taking money out of that. You have tax benefit, your tax uh, taxation and penalties, depending on your age, you know, now I'm okay. I can take it out without a penalty. I still have to pay tax, but I don't have any money in stocks and 401ks and IRAs. I don't do any of that anymore. Um, but because, because it, it's, it doesn't make sense for me. But um, I think that one of the things that that people have to understand also is that um, in my perspective, even though we're saying three to five years, your money's tied up, it is a short-term investment. And so you mm-hmm. have that passive income for that three to five years. You better not be wasting the passive income. You better be reinvesting that passive income so that you ensure that when it refinances or sells, you have another asset to be able to um, pluck that into so that you can make it a long-term investment. Um, you know, and that you're always looking for those opportunities, and/or that that the income that you're receiving on a monthly or quarterly basis, depending on how any you know any one multifamily syndication pays. Uh, that you're utilizing those funds to reinvest so that uh, you do have consistent passive income. So to me, that that's one um, pitfall sometimes, depending on your age bracket, right, um, to having a long-term rental you know, or having a holding a 30 year note on a mortgage because you do have that. But this is the the beautiful thing about real estate investing is there's so many different things that you can um, invest in for different reasons at different times. And one of the reasons why, you know, Brian and I have a little over 20 million in personal property that we own, um, plus, you know, four or five syndications that we're part of and we hold notes we hold tons of notes. And um, mm-hmm. the reason we have the variety is because we we want some short-term higher gain. We want some long-term lower gain, right? Lower passive income so that we uh, always have that perpetual income regardless of what the market brings to us. So, you know, I love that that um, you're holding land. That's good. I own land too. I actually have, People storing things on my land so that my land makes money, <laughs> right? So I'm making sure that I'm that I'm I'm earning yeah. money while on the land as well. You know, we have a little. I think we have fifteen or sixteen Airbnbs. You know, and, and they come and go. There might, you know, some of those might turn into back into rentals. Some of those we might sell. Some of those we own free and clear. So we might just you know hold the note on it. And I think this is this is what is so important about real estate investing is that there are so many options you have to find the right one for you. And this is why I'm asking you what works for you, you know, may not work for someone else, but I want people to understand the good and the bad that that happens, you know, in all of these. So have you ever found yourself in a situation and maybe not now, but maybe in the early years, did you find yourself in a situation where you were like, Jaime, we really needed that 50 grand this week, this month. We really needed that. And, you know, what did you, what did you, how did you handle it? Because people that are listening are going to say, I don't know, what if I do want to and, type, and I'm not selling against it, believe me, because I own a bunch of them too. Um, <laughs> but I just want us to be real forthright about this. You know, how did you guys handle that when you encountered that, if you did, or how would you recommend it?
2: No, we, we, we hit that all the
1: time. Yeah. You know,
2: we 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 invest heavily, right? And so when we started making income, we knew that we wanted to put our money to work. And when we got into the real estate investing cycle, it's like we have cash flow from our businesses, but we always have to have enough cash flow to make sure our businesses, our core businesses are okay, right? Our practices is our core business. Um, but then also we have money set aside. We're well, like, hey, okay, this is investing money that, you know, we will just park. And so every time we'll put in, say, 50 or 100, 150000 and say, for instance, if like, we're, uh, I'll show you an example, like during COVID, COVID was a stressful time because we were closed, we were forced to close our practices right. for almost two months,
0: mm-hmm. paying
2: our staff, everything, all the bills were still occurring, and we were paying all our teams, even though we were physically closed, right? And we had utilized a lot of our money because we don't, we're, we're not cash heavy in the bank, Right, we 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 roll that money into investing a lot. Keep it moving. But fortunately, we had some reserves on hand in order to pay our crew. But it, yeah, you got to keep it moving, right? So, are there are there stressful times where you're like, you know, I have to always have a stream of it's cash flow. Everything is cash. It's about cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. Cash is the oxygen of every business. And so, you know, we are careful about that. But there were times where we're like, man, we are really. We already get really getting low in our business accounts, yeah, because um, we've put all of that money into illiquid um, investment, right? And so those are always signs. But you know, the the beauty of what we do is we're very creative, right? So Jaime and I can always go work and do a little extra to bring in the cash we need, whether it's uh, because we have different skill sets, and then I think that's the beauty of being having a lot of diversified income. Um, and different type of income streams because we're not just real estate, right? We're right. not just optometry. We probably have over 40 different vehicles of passive income. Yeah, And so that's the beauty, even though our real estate investment in the multi-families tied up, we have other things that bring us cash um, on a monthly basis, little here, little there. uh, And it adds up. And if I really needed to go do relief work, if I needed to pick up an extra day or two here, I can always pick up and make more money. Right. And so for us, it's easier to, to create more streams of income because of different skill sets we have. And there's two of us. So there's always like, I'm not worried about putting my money to work for me and in investing. Because if, if yeah. push come to shove and I need to make some extra money this month, I can go and do it. It's very easy for me to just go pick up. I know a lot of people and I can go and utilize my skill sets to do to add extra income. And that's what I encourage people to do. I have multiple streams of income, but I also have different skill sets. So when you're in a bind and you need to create income yeah. with the world of technology we have now, Jen, there's oh so goodness. many ways to make Create more income. Yeah. I can make more than I can save, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But you just have to be creative in in what people need.
1: Yeah. And help with that. that. Yeah, I love that. And that's something that I've you know that we share on both of these podcasts, you know, a lot is just creating more revenue streams so that you never have to worry about uh you know, it's like like when Dave Dave Ramsey says you need to have a nest egg, you know, for those that are, you know, and I love Dave Ramsey too. I mean, he taught me a lot about discipline, but but he says, you need, you know, a $1,000 Nesta, I mean, not Esteg, but emergency basket, you know, we call it a war chest, because <laughs> it's larger, right, it's a war chest, it's not an emergency basket. But when you have passive income, there is no need for an emergency basket, because there's always income coming in. Um And with what you and I do, you know, as speakers as well, you know, we always can say, hey, I'm going to have a three day virtual event and that's going to bring in, you know, a couple thousand dollars or several thousand dollars, whatever the case may be, uh, just from just from doing that kind of thing. Uh, Okay, so so, you know, the key is, you know, if you have cash. And you want to invest in multifamily, just don't spend all the cash in the multifamily. Keep some out for the rainy day for yourself if you don't have multiple streams or skills to be able to bring extra income in, aside from your JOB or from what's coming in from the multifamily. So I love that. Um, I love that strategy. I want to ask you this um, when you invest in something, are you investing cash or are you investing through another vehicle? um such as whole life that's my specific
2: Um, i I do multiple multiple ways um i have multiple policies in whole life Mm -hmm. um that i actually haven't utilized in my investing yet but i have like three different policies for my whole life that i can tap into at any time um i'm i've used my self-directed iras um Mm -hmm. and then my cash and my whole life i'm kind of as uh you know um to decide if I want to pull that out to to do. Uh, but I haven't utilized it, but I do have three that I built like 10, probably 10, 15 years ago that I started
1: oh yeah. Yeah, and it's accumulated. So you, yeah. So it's going to be great. Um. So you know, self-directed IRAs, they have a um sometimes a negative connotation. What have you discovered in self-directed IRAs that someone listening and said, oh, you know, I heard about this. Should I should I liquidate my four hundred one k my Roth IRA and you know, well Roth you could maybe use it, but um you know if I wanted to liquidate my four hundred one k that I've had my job forever, um you know take the hit now move it over into a self-directed, what are some of the pitfalls you've learned? And I we can preface this by, I know you're not a finan- licensed financial planner, you're not giving financial advice, but what is your experience, been with the use of self-directed IRAs? I had a 401k ever since
2: I started working at a young age. I moved that money over into a self-directed IRA, started investing into multifamily um, and spread that out in multiple deals. Uh And the return of investment was, I mean, they were averaging uh, at the time 25 to 30% that I was getting return, especially because we sold them in in, up markets. And as it's sitting in the 401k, I'd be lucky if I get five to 7%, (laughs) right? No kidding. Um, So I was able to multiply and grow that money and all the money would just go back into the self-directed IRA, right? All the distributions. And then when we sold, it went back with a self-directed IRA, you would have to pay UBIT tax once we sell the property. Um, and, But if you put it over to an EQRP, then yep. you don't have to pay, pay the UBIT. And so um, I didn't learn about EQRP until after I had my already invested in self-directed oh, IRAs. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I didn't know that um, until after just, you know, more recently uh, doing the oh. EQRP vehicle. Yeah. But, you know, but the cool thing The hit I would take, you know, it doesn't matter on the taxation and stuff, because to have that type of I know that in the real estate space, my money is being, you know, it it can work so much better um, than it's been sitting there in the 401k. And so, oh, no you know, even for one of the the,
1: penalties, yeah, even with any penalties, but plus you also have your, you know, accelerated depreciation, depreciation that you're getting. And we're not only talking about passive income or distributions, we're talking about equity growth as well that you get to share in. And so, you know, all of that right. can be You don't get a penalty when you just when you convert it from a 401k to a self-directed IRA,
2: you're not getting a penalty if you withdraw no, no, cash. I yeah.
1: No, I know. Okay. that. Yeah. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the the equity that you have in your, in the multifamily, you know, as well. Um, so let's talk about EQRPs because I've been using those for quite some time myself. Um, I, I was so lucky. I met some guy, matter of fact, he was on one of my podcasts years ago, probably on Mortgage Lending Mastery um, on the podcast. And I was like, what the heck is this thing? Right. I probably learned about it 10 years ago. So let's talk about this for just a minute, because this is something, in fact, I have a book on this that I should recommend <laughs> to about somebody who wrote who wrote a book on this. Um, but share with us a little bit about that and what you've learned on um, the EQRPs as well.
2: Yeah, so the EQRP, um, one of the things we like is um, there is an upfront cost, but mm-hmm. the the benefit of not having to have fees in every transaction, to not have to have the UBIT tax paid and just the ease of use of working with it. And one of uh, Maria who works with us, I don't know if you've met Maria, who's now our executive director of investor relations. I think she, I left have. I think she
1: followed you with something. Yeah, she followed you somewhere. I couldn't remember where it was. But yeah, I met her. Yeah. Yeah. I think the WOI event We were together yes. in Arizona,
2: where uh-huh. you met her.
1: Yeah. And, yeah.
2: Um, you know, she was She's a perfect example of moving her money from her 401k. When she left her corporate position to join our team, she decided she wanted to start investing in real estate. And so she did as, you know, she went through the whole experience with Damien Lupo and his team to, to converting it mm-hmm. and streamlining the process. She invested into multifamily 50,000. Um, and that was kind of, and I found that, that I didn't know about that vehicle before, but you know that you can, uh, and there's less limitations on what you can do with the EQRP. Um, I haven't personally converted over because all of my funds that I went over to the self directed are still in the self directed. Yeah, and probably in the future will move over to EQRP. Yeah, and um, so, so you probably will know a little bit about EQRP. Yeah, that's general. okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so EQRP is an enhanced qualified retirement plan. Um, and so it, and really it's for people that are making 250,000 or more, that's, that's one of the critical things to know about this too, is that it's a way for, you know, cause there's a certain, you hit a certain plateau or a height in income and now it's a law of diminishing return. There's so much taxation that you can't, it, it's a growth issue that, that starts happening. And this is why this is such a really, really good avenue for people who are making you know, a really good high level of money um or of income. And so I think that's one thing, you know, with that that I really like too. Um, I love that you said that because I had forgotten about that. We have one of them, but I, I don't really put see like with you, it's just sitting there, right? I have it, it's sitting there. I've got some some cash in there, but I don't I don't uh, typically use it. I focus more on whole life investing because I like earning income while I'm spending income um or spending my cash, you know, like double earning. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and that's, and I found that that's been a really good vehicle for us. Um, and, uh, you know, but I think this is what we're talking about here is there are so many ways to skin this cat. It's a matter of deciding to make the decision to invest rather than letting your city, let you letting your money sit in the bank and letting the bank earn the money or letting your money sit in, um. Gosh, I don't even know what the vehicles are in a mutual fund, right? A mutual fund, fund. Um, you know, we just saw. When you asked me earlier, Jen, the whole life, you know, when
2: you talk about like what, if I'm in a jam, So in my mind, if I'm in a jam, I can always go borrow against my whole life.
1: And and you're in your, (laughs) yeah, yeah. In your EQRP, because it's a checking account for whatever you want. I mean, the great thing about whole life is that I can use that money for anything I want. I don't have to ask anybody. I don't have to tell anybody what it's for. I just use it for wherever I want. I can use it to go on a cruise if I want to use it to go on a cruise. And so that, you know, it's exponentially growing while I have the same funds growing in a syndication. You know, the same funds are growing in a syndication and they're also growing in that, mm-hmm. in that whole life um, policy. So, you know, if I need something, I can pull, you know, right from it. And, um, you know, and that's what I love about it. And if I want to pay it back, I can. And if I don't, I don't have to. I We always do. But so my kid, you know, if there's a million dollar policy and I took out 50,000 and I decide not to pay it back, my kids will get 950,000. That's all it is. They just don't get the the full mm-hmm. million. Right, if I decided not to pay it back, so that's what I love about it too. But it's still growing exponentially. Yeah, <laughs> it's still growing, and that's what I love about it. So, well, and you guaranteed your and you guaranteed to inherit that money when you pass. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. They're guaranteed to have it, and you and know, if it, you love money, that. yeah. That's what I love about it. And, uh, you know, with all the grandkids, we started um, policies for them. Every one of them have um, policies as well. And so we're growing those exponentially. And by the time they're 18, they'll be able to pay for all their college education, their wedding, their house down payment, whatever it is that they want to do. I love, I love. And, you know, and it's
2: better because you're younger and you have yeah, because a lot of these whole life policies, you have to have good health, right? And so it's better that you, know, you are. The timing is so critical, and yeah. people don't realize that. People think it's, oh, it's just life insurance. But, you know, there's a whole many other vehicles that yeah. you can utilize with it.
1: Well, but you just and, have to
2: structure it right, right? And you yeah. Just have and to have someone and to, I
1: think, um, yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, here I am turning 60, I just took out another policy. um just uh, you know, three or four weeks ago before I turned 60. I just wanted one right before that, right? And I'm healthy so I can get them. My husband's not eligible for any more life insurance. He has a small life insurance policy, whoop-dee-doo, like less than three. I think it's 300,000. Um, I have $7 million policies. And now with this one, I have seven of them. But the thing is, if anything happens to me, my family's taken care of. If anything happens to my right. husband- I'm taking care of because I have it all, right? I I have it in my name um, because of his health issues. You know, he just can't get it. But, um, you know, yeah, the sooner you can get him, the better. My daughter just got one. Her husband just got one. They're 35 and, five and 40. Um, yeah, the sooner you can get those, the better. And again, it's it's investing in- all. most people think about. You know, so
2: most of you don't really think about that and the different ways you can utilize that. And it's all about education it and is. getting to people who's utilizing it And putting it in real life uh, action,
1: and maximizing and optimizing on it. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, I love what you're doing. I love that you're growing, you know, all all of these beautiful, this wealth. And I know that you're giving back as well and that you're, you know, investing in people, you know, and, and that's why both of us, you know, were able to be knighted is because we do A lot of charity work. We do a lot of things that help other people as well. And, you know, I just love that you're doing all that. And I love that you're sharing this with us, sharing all of your wisdom about this avenue. And so many times I've talked about on our podcast is, you know, exploring the different options that are available to create wealth and to create um, different avenues and that you can break through these glass ceilings. It doesn't matter what, what it is. There are many, many glass ceilings that all of us break through, but it's a matter of, I do love that you said educating, because that's the way to push through the fastest, Um, rather than trying to get through something and get cut on the way, educate yourself. So you know what it's going to be like on the other side and then explore it. So, um, if, uh, someone wants to follow you and I'm sure they all do, let's not even say if. So I know everybody wants to follow you. Where can they follow you? <laughs> they can go on our website, PassiveWealth,
2: number 23.com, or I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn under uh, HOA, uh, and then my last name N-G-U-I-E-N. So as as you see it, um, is how I'm on some social media platforms. But our website's the best way you just want to contact us directly but
1: facebook why, is our most active why is it called 20 yeah. why is it passive well 23 because i know your company is black black something black stone yeah. it's not black, stone, black, black steel. steel yeah black, yeah. I,
2: yeah um they can do Blacksteel 23 uh, as well it, either way directs to my main site um, but twenty three, I'm born on the twenty third. Twenty three is my lucky number. Twenty three just has a lot of uh, good symbolism, Fox, and you. so I I love the number twenty three. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but my investment company, um, so everything that has our Airbnb, our you know our investment properties where we have our you know syndication income, all that stuff, is Black Fox. Um, because Black we Fox. Oh, yeah, I didn't it's Black that. Fox. Yeah, because we're we're in hunt country in Virginia, right? This is this is uh, fox hunting and all that stuff. And so I said, oh, we're going to call yeah. it Black Fox. Um, so that's why it's called Black Fox. Yeah. I love yeah, it. ours is a Black
2: Steel Investment Group, so it's yeah, yeah. So we had rebranded. Originally, we were Twenty Twenty Platinum Capital um, uh, Twenty Twenty because we were on doctors, right? right? Oh, and then when COVID did. happened negative connotation of 2020.
1: Oh, everyone's oh, like, I, know. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. That's cool. I love it. I love it. Well, I love you as well. So, Wah, thank you so much uh, for being a guest on, on both of these shows. I really, really appreciate it. I love your insight. I love your wisdom. I love your path. Um, you know, you are definitely an example of resilience and creativity you know, to achieve what you want, that American dream, right? For, for you, what, what it looks like for you. And I think it's important for others to know that their American dream or your American dream, when you're listening to this is your dream, not someone else's, (laughs) not what someone else thinks it is. So what, if this resonated with you, get in touch with Wa. follow her, maybe you want to invest with her. She's fantastic. Um, we keep talking about investing, but the timing hasn't been right because I haven't—I wasn't able to look at the deck that just came in. And But um, we'll get there. We're going to have an opportunity to we'll work. I can't
0: wait.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. I appreciate you. Thank you, yes. so much, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much. And I look forward to uh, seeing you sor- sor- shortly. I hope I'm going to be seeing you soon. I don't know when, but hopefully we'll be seeing each other again. Um, and for you listening, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. Again, scroll down, use your thumb real quick, scroll down and give us a great five-star rating and write something really nice in there about what you learned from Wa, what you loved about her energy, what you loved about her experience, uh, whatever it is that you, you learned and, and action maybe that you're going to take. And as, as I always say is, please don't forget to go to our YouTube channel and follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can listen to other wonderful, great interviews with so many of wonderful people that I am, um, part of and, and get to be
0: involved with. So with that, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to mortgage lending mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets, fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.